We are going to start our study tonight in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Let's read verses 5 and 6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave Himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. There is a great biblical truth there. This is what we're going to study tonight, that Christ has redeemed us, that He gave Himself to be the ransom for the sins of the world. But now you can turn in your, in your Bibles to First uh, Peter chapter 1. And I want to read this one passage. This is what we're going to talk about tonight. Keeping in mind what we just read from 1 Timothy about Jesus uh, giving Himself as a ransom for all. And then we're going to pick up in 1 Peter 1.18. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by, by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God." Our faith and hope is to be in God. And it's in God through Jesus Christ. It's in, it's in God through a relationship with Jesus Christ, Christ who gave Himself a ransom for all to be testified of in due time. Uh, I'm just going to read this passage. Let's turn it up to Revelation chapter 5. Keep your spot marked in Peter. Revelation 5. And let's, let's read verses, verses 6 and 9 through 12. This is the song that's being sung. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Verse 9. And they sing a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God. By the blood, by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts, and the elders, and their number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Amen? This is a majestic scene. This is God's majesty. We're getting a glimpse of it just in black and white and ink on our paper, but it's a revelation of the Holy Spirit of what's taking place around the throne of God uh, with the redeemed of the ages worshiping the Lord in, around His throne. He was slain, the Lamb that was slain. He is the Lamb of God. And I'm so thankful for the songs we sang tonight. Some we haven't sung in a long time. Um, but the Lord Jesus is that Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's how He was introduced in His earthly life and His earthly ministry. He lived in pretty much obscurity for the first 30 years of His life as the son of a carpenter in Nazareth. And then we see uh, when He's introduced basically by that man, John the Baptist, who was an ordained of the Lord for that purpose, when he sees him coming, he looks and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. 
who takes away the sins of the world. Of all the things he could have been called, he was called a lamb, a lamb of God, because he was going to lay down his life specifically. That's why he came. That's what he was anointed to do. And he was obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. He fulfilled his purpose in coming the second time. I mean, the first time when he comes the second time, it's, there's not going to be a death on the cross. He's not going to come meek and lowly. I'm thankful that he did the first time. And that was everything it was supposed to be the first time. But he rose and we just celebrated at Easter. He rose triumphantly over the death and the grave. He's coming back again to reign and to rule. And we will be reigning with him. But we belong to a redeemed race. This is what we're going to talk about a little bit tonight. The fact that we're redeemed and what does that even mean? Uh, most people don't know anything about that. Just the average person walking down the street doesn't know that you're redeemed by the blood of Jesus. You know what I mean? That doesn't enter their, their mind. They don't think about it. They might think, oh, he's a Christian. She's a Christian. They go to church a lot. Uh, but being redeemed, they don't understand that. And I think a lot of Christians don't give it a whole lot of thought either. We think we're saved. We're safe. When we die, we're going to heaven. We've trusted in Jesus. All that is true, and I'm thankful for all of that. But one of the things that sets us apart from any other person on the planet is that we're redeemed. We've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And so we need to let that uh, sink in, and it ought to affect our entire life. Because we've been redeemed, we belong to another. We don't belong to ourselves anymore. We don't belong to the God of this world. And we're not lying in the embrace of the wicked one. And we're not serving the God of this world. And we're not serving our own lusts and desires. We've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And that's what Peter says. If you're back in 1 Peter uh, 1.18, for as much as you know that you were redeemed. He wants us to know that we're redeemed. He wants us to know that and let that sink in. You know, it's one thing, and it's a lot, to have been created by God, to be actually even a lost man. You and I, before we were saved, and every lost man that's ever lived was created in the image of God. There is a stamp of God even on a lost man, okay? Created with a soul and a spirit and with an eternal life or death, eternal, created for eternity in that sense, and in the image of God. That, uh, and that's an amazing thing in itself, but to be redeemed by the Lord is even greater. And I know that I've shared this little story, so y'all just listen to it again one time if you would. I hadn't really planned on saying it. But uh, there is a story of a little boy. I know you've all heard it, almost all of you. And this little boy didn't have a lot of money, and all the little kids, and there was a big lake in town, like a city park, and all these... Uh, these kids would go out like on Saturday or whatever after school and they would sail their little boats. They bought their daddies bought them boats or whatever. And they, I don't know how big, but they would float their boats out on the lake and sail them. Okay. And this little kid, he did, his parents didn't have a lot of money and, but he wanted to have his own boat to float out on that lake. And so he worked very hard and made one. His father taught him how to work with some tools. He took his time and he, he made a very nice boat and then he painted it all up the way it was he wanted it to look and on the bottom he put his name or his initials on the bottom that it was his and he floated his boat out there was so excited about it with all the other kids. One day a big wind came up it got away from him somehow and it at the end of this lake there was like a spillway that 
where it overflowed like a dam and went out into a big river and out into the bay. And he kind of was, he got away from it. He's watching it blow farther and farther away. He's running, running along the bank, trying to catch up with it. And he's watching it, it's getting further and it goes over this little spillway and it goes out of sight down this little spillway and he knows where it's headed out to this big bay. And uh, he was very sad about losing his boat. Well, one day he's walking through town and he looks in the window of a store, like a little toy store. And there he sees his boat sitting up in the window for sale. And he goes running in. He said, Mister, I need to get that boat. That's my boat right here. He says, No, son, that's not yours. He goes, Look right here on the bottom is my initials. He goes, Son, if you want that boat, you're going to have to pay for it. And so the little boy goes home. His dad starts giving him some little odd jobs. He picks up little odd jobs around town. It takes him a long time. He find, finally gets enough money to go back and he pulls out his money. And he gives it to the store owner and he says, and then the store owner gives him his boat. And he's so happy. He holds up the little boat and he says, now you're twice mine. He says, I created you and I redeemed you. And I love that story because I think that's, that's with the Lord. He created us. That's one thing that He created all men. But He redeemed us. He paid a price for us. It is a very high price that He paid. That's what we're going to look at tonight. And that's what we're going to study tonight. What it means to be redeemed. Amen? We have a kinsman redeemer. You know, that's, that's, that little thread of redemption is all through the Bible. That ought to distinguish our lives is that we belong to God. That we belong to the Lord. Not just that I go to church. Not just that I believed the doctrinal statement which we have and is necessary. All that's necessary. But that we've actually been redeemed by the Lord. Okay? Created by Him, but redeemed by Him. What's the cost of our redemption? Let's look at it here. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold. Okay, he just throws out some corruptible things. They're valuable things, but they still are corruptible, right? As silver and gold uh, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. So he starts out by telling us what we weren't redeemed with. He starts out by saying, hey, look, this is no little thing. This is not something that silver or gold or, or money could purchase. Now, it's amazing because that's a lesson that's that's taught in the Bible as well. It's a spiritual truth that a rich man is told not when it comes to things of God and things of life and spiritual things and eternity, not to trust in uncertain riches. We're not to trust in our wealth and material things. And a rich man can soon learn that all their money that they've accumulated and they're very wealthy and they have a lot of power and influence and a lot of leisure and ease, they soon learned that money cannot do nearly as much as they would want it to do. If their child died, money can't bring them back. If their spouse died or left them, money can't bring it back. If their health goes, money can't bring it back. It's, they finally, they quickly realize how limited their money is. They want to throw some money on it and think this will take care of it, and it doesn't. Okay? Uh, and so those things, even though they're valuable, gold and silver, and they might last a lot longer than like the sofa you're sitting on, they're still perishable. They're still corruptible. And they're going to perish. And that is not what we were purchased with. Money cannot compensate for those things. <coughs> Solomon says this in Song of Solomon. 
I'll just read it. If a man would give all his substance of his house for love, it would utterly be contempt. It would just would be a waste. If he give all of his substance that he had, it would come to nothing. If he, if he was doing it to try to buy love, it's not going to do it, is it? Can't do that. And so it's incorruptible. And so basically money and silver and gold and riches, worldly riches, have no place in this sphere, if you want to call it, of spiritual things. It's like somebody comes and wants to buy their way to heaven and it's like the door's blocked. I'm sorry, that's not what's going to get you in here. Okay? There's something quite, uh, quite more valuable than that. And so, uh, so the Lord has told us what He has. You know, if we've heaped treasures up, it's going to do nothing. And the Creator had to give not created things in order to redeem us eternally. He gave what was uncreated. He gave something eternal. He offered up His Son on the altar. And there are pictures and types and shadows all through the Bible of Abraham offering up his son Isaac. There's no price that could have been paid. And Abraham says, wait, wait, wait. Can I give all my cattle and not offer my son as a sacrifice? Can I do, you know, give all the land, anything? The Lord required His Son to be offered up. It was a picture. And God spared him. And He did not kill His Son. But... Uh, but we see that picture and that thread all through. He didn't give a gift. When it came to purchasing our redemption and paying them for the price for the sins of the world to be redeemed, He gave Himself. Okay? He offered up Himself. And that's really an amazing thing. The Bible says that the life is in the blood, right? The life is in the blood. And so, but verse 19, with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And so there's life in the blood that had to, what was given for us was the precious blood of Jesus. Okay? And so life is the supreme gift that we have. Really think about it. Life is the supreme gift. If some man on his deathbed, you know, would probably give every ounce of everything he had to not die. To extend his life for some period, right? And so that that life is the greatest gift. Well, that's what was offered up for us. That's what was given for us. And so when a man is given his life, he's given all. He's given everything that he has. And so what this reminds us of, y'all, you remember our study in Hebrews, of course, and we the Hebrews study. So much of that, almost all of it, reflected back on the old law, right? The Levitical system and the, the priestly sacrifices and the priestly tabernacle and those types of things. And the priesthood and all that. And so when we see Jesus being offered up as a lamb, it instantly is going to trigger those things in our mind and it's supposed to about those Levitical uh, sacrifices that were offered. But Jesus was offered, uh, those lambs were offered for the sins of the people, right? Day by day, and then the annual day of atonement. And just if, if I sin today, I'd go to the priest. And, you know, there was an offering that was required. And everyone, something had to die. 
whether I was poor and I could offer a turtle dove or whether I offered a sheep or a goat, something had to be offered and die in my place. Not nearly as valuable, okay, as Jesus. But they were pictures, right? Blood had to be shed. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. None. Those other things just don't come into play here. Wealth, riches, honor. It does not work here, okay? It's not corruptible things that are going to do it. He's a lamb without blemish and without spot. And so uh, those, those sacrifices were offered over and over again. And Christ came and was offered once. Once for all. Once for all. We take communion to recognize that and to remember that and to thank Him and to celebrate what the Lord has done for us, to acknowledge what the Lord has done for us, to meditate on that, to think on it, to be reminded because we should. But He's not being offered up over and over and over again. It was one time. And so um, also, y'all, the, the, the offering of Christ on the cross about 2,000 years ago. See where it says here... Um, who verily, verse 20, was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. It, would, it was not an afterthought. And, and I've even heard some people over the years, and they might intend well, and they may not just have thought it through a lot, but almost like when Adam and Eve sinned, then God had to come up with a plan of redemption. That is actually not true. It's all through the Bible. It's in Revelation that he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. It's in other scriptures. And it's right here that he was foreordained um, for that purpose. And so that was God's purpose and plan. And it shows the great love of God that knowing that man would, after some period of time, rebel against him and be a whole rebellious race of Adam, knowing the great cost that it would cost heaven to, for the Father to send His Son to die and shed His own life's blood on the cross, He still did it. And there's mysteries there and I can't wrap my brain around all of it, but I do know it wasn't an afterthought. Like, oh, man sinned, now what? Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll do this, this, and this. And then down the road, I'll send Jesus. He already knew what He was going to do. And, and uh, I love what one... Uh, Bible scholar said the cross of Christ was not an ambulance sent to a wreck. That's good, huh? It's like, oh no, we're in, we're in crisis mode. I mean, that's what ambulance is for, right? For crisis mode. Everything's fine up and down the highway and then there's a wreck and ambulance shows up. Thank the Lord they do. But the point is, the cross of Christ was not an ambulance sent to a wreck. He was foreordained. It was a purpose it was a plan. It was laid out there. Remember that. Because I've heard things, and again, it's not that I'm saying this is a false doctrine or something like that. I've just heard people uh, allude to that almost in their preaching or teaching that God had to come up with a plan basically after man sinned. And that's actually not what's taught in the Bible. He was foreordained. That means designated or set apart. He was designated or set apart from before the foundation, before the foundation of the world. That's from Revelation uh, 13, 8. And again here we see it in what we're reading of 1 Peter. And so, uh, 
It's also interesting to note that the, the sacrifices of the Jewish rituals and rites and so forth were copies of things in heaven. And that was said in Hebrews. See that you make all things, the Lord told Moses, according to the pattern which you saw in the mount. So Moses saw the pattern, say for the tabernacle, tabernacle for example. The pattern was already in heaven. Now see that you do it on, on earth. Make it like what you saw. And the whole sacrificial system and the priesthood and the, the way the priest would wash their hands and the candlestick and the showbread, all those things, uh, the covering of the tabernacle and what it was made of, the Ark of the Covenant, the, the uh, Holy of Holies, the cherubims on top where God would come and meet at that place. All of that was types and shadows of Christ's coming. Christ was not uh, a shadow of those things. In other words, Christ didn't come and say, I'm going to fulfill all, I'm going to try to do it like all these Levitical things. All those things were done like Christ. And there's a difference, okay? He didn't come and try to mimic it. He didn't try to mimic the Levitical priesthood. The Levitical priesthood and the tabernacle and the temple and the blood sacrifices copied Jesus. And it was a foreshadowing of his coming. It's very, very uh, important to know. But also, it is important to know that Leviticus, the book of Leviticus, for example, and where the laws laid out in Exodus and Leviticus and the priesthood, don't just blow by those things because so much of what Jesus did on the cross is revealed. It gives an ex- a much deeper explanation. You could go up to somebody that knows nothing about the Word of God, the Bible, or the book, doesn't even know Leviticus is a book in the Bible, and you can lead them to Christ. Because the Holy Ghost is working and the Lord loves them and the gospel is being presented and they repent and believe in Jesus. But to really grow and go on from there and to appreciate, we ought to appreciate what Jesus did for us more today than the day we got saved. We ought to know Him more. We ought to see that sacrifice more and understand what was given for us. His great love wherewith He loved us, the Bible says, while we were yet dead in our sins and trespasses. Okay, and so we go to study books of the Bible and we say that's boring. That's old covenant. I don't need all that stuff. Well, God wants us to have it. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable. Right. That the man of God may be uh, mature or completed and, and strengthened. And so we study things like that and it helps us to understand the scapegoat. You know, those different things, the annual day of atonement, the high priest going in once a year, not without blood, and God would meet with him there. And there's so many things I can't say I understand one thousandth of it, but, but it's so much, there's so much revealed right there. And so one thing that's very clear, even if you didn't know a lot about the, the feast and the, the offerings and all that of the Old Testament, one thing is very clear is that there was a substitution of the innocent for the guilty. Right? An innocent for the guilty. That we, we wanted to get this uh, this lamb for the sacrifice, and the priests are gonna, you know, they're gonna offer take put their hands on an innocent lamb. I mean it's an animal, but still it's not it's not worthy of death just for people's sake. It's innocent in that sense, and they take the lamb and they would kill it. And they would shed they shed the lamb's 
blood and they would burn it as a sacrifice and offer the blood. Then they would take that scapegoat and they would priests would put their hands on top of that scapegoat, another innocent animal, so to speak, and confess the sins of the people over that goat, take it way away where it couldn't find its way home and let it go. And it was to bear the sins of the people off lost out there in the wilderness somewhere. But we, we see the substitution of the innocent for the guilty. That's where love is. That's where mercy is. This is not just a, a formula. This is a heart of God that's being displayed here. And He wants us to see it. He wants us to get it. That's when we take communion. We don't want to mindlessly do it. We have to guard ourselves and help ourselves to consider what we're doing. Think about it. It's not that you can't move and it has to be five hours before you can take it. But I do believe there has to be some serious, sober thinking on it. This do in remembrance of me. I need to be reminded of my Savior who offered Himself as a ransom for all. Okay? And so, uh, we see that the innocent substituted uh, for the guilty. That's one thing that's clearly seen. And that's how Jesus uh, died. He died the just for the unjust. His spotless blood, sinless blood, He did not have the sin nature of Adam. He was not a child or descendant of Adam. He was a child of God. That holy thing that was conceived in Mary was of the Holy Ghost. He did not have a sin nature. He said, which of you convinceth me of sin? When they wanted to stone Him. And he says, basically, who, who can accuse me of a sin and make it stick? Who can point out some sin that I've committed? They couldn't. Even his enemies that were, had stones in their hands and hated him and wanted to kill him couldn't think of a sin he committed. They said, well, we can't think of a sin, but you, you being a man have tried to make yourself out to be God. Well, that wasn't a sin because he was God. They didn't understand it. They didn't get it. But the point is, he was innocent and he died. He, he is our Christ is our Passover Lamb. The same moment that Jesus was dying on the cross, the very moment that He was giving up the ghost, was the time when the priests were offering the Passover lamb and killing it. Slaying the Passover lamb. When He says it's finished and gave up the ghost. It's just amazing. You couldn't write this stuff any better. And the Lord did it. I mean, you, couldn't, you couldn't plan it any better. And you know, all those times they wanted to take Him make Him king, or make him ruler and it wasn't his time. Then they want to throw him off a cliff and kill him. It wasn't time for that. It wasn't time for him to die. And he wasn't going to die like that. And they didn't want to take stones and kill him. It wasn't time. He passed in through the midst of them, just walked on out. Why? Because he's going across. He's going across on that day, the same time that the priests are offering up the Passover lamb. Because Christ, the Bible says, is our Passover lamb. That was instituted in Exodus on the, on the last night when the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt. We know the story. And so, uh, there, God wants us to know those stories. It helps us. helps us to understand uh, what the Lord has done for us. And so, uh, let's look at a couple of Scriptures here. Another thing that's very clear you know, from, uh, from the Bible, and you can turn to Hebrews. Keep your spot marked there in, in 1 Peter. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 26, when it says that He was a lamb without spot and without blemish. It's simply talking about His perfect character, His sinless character and nature. Not only did He not commit a sin, but He didn't have a sin nature like we do. 
always say we're really sinners in two ways. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've committed acts of sin. All of us. Okay? Word, thought, or deed in some way. But we also have a sin nature. So it's like we have a sin nature, and because we have a sin nature, we commit acts of sin. Jesus didn't have either. He didn't have a sin nature, and He didn't commit acts of sin. And so that, in those ways, He's spotless and without blemish. Um, and so uh, it has to do with His nature. It has to do with His sinlessness. And look at Hebrews 7.26. For such a high priest, this is speaking of Jesus, okay? Such a high priest became us, or was fitting, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. What a wonderful description of the Lord's character. Okay? Holy and harmless, undefiled. We're, all, we're the opposite of all those things. Unholy. Okay? We're defiled by sin. We, we're, uh, we're not separate from sinners. We're just heaped in with sinners and we're one of them. Okay? He's, he's separate from those and yet He can step out of eternity and step into an earthly body and do what He did on the cross to redeem sinful man. Not have to compromise His own holiness. He became one of us, but He didn't take on our sin nature. He took sin upon Himself. And there's a big difference. He didn't become one of us and He, he lied and He lusted and He got prideful and He cheated and He stole just a little bit so He could see what it was like to be a man. No. He walked in a human body holy and harmless and undefiled and separate from sinners. And it was that kind of Savior that we needed. No other kind of Savior would do. One that, other one that was holy, uncreated, and offered up on the cross for our sins. And so He bore the sins of the world. That's different than me having a sin nature and it literally being in me. Having the blood of Adam, so to speak, and the nature of Adam in me. Uh, he bore the sins of the world upon Him. Like a huge weight strapped to His back. But it never entered into Him. It's just, there's a, again, there's a mystery there. It's an amazing thing what took place. But um, that's what He did for us. And then He's lamb-like. When it talks about Him being holy and undefiled without spot or blemish, it also, there's a, uh, a picture here of Him being uh, innocent and Christ-like. Uh, innocent in the sense of like a lamb. And I want you all to look at this. Uh, turn to your Bibles. Let's read this in Isaiah 53. We all know that, that Isaiah 53 is a Messianic prophecy about Christ's first coming. And there's not a better one in the Bible than this. We're not going to read the whole thing, but let's read verses 5-8 through eight and then skip down to verse 10. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. See, the just for the unjust. The innocent for the guilty. He was wounded for our transgressions. It's personal. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And with His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord hath laid on Him, see there's that laying of the sin, the iniquity of us all. All we, let's see, He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before His shears is dumb, so He opened not His mouth. 
he was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? Generation, for he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people was he stricken. Verse ten. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He he hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. The Lord God, the Father, was satisfied with the offering of Jesus on the cross. He was not satisfied. He accepted it. But he wasn't satisfied with all those blood sacrifices of animals. In the sense, he accepted it because it was time for that. And that was all that was provided at that time. But he was satisfied with the offering of Jesus once and for all. All right? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And it says, By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. It's just over and over again. One more scripture. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. We had so clear and it's repeated over and over again. The word ransom, I know you know this, but the word ransom that Christ ransomed us, it's, it's the price that was paid to procure the freedom of a slave or a captive. It's the price that was paid. Christ was the price that was paid to redeem us. And... He fulfilled it and he satisfied it. Okay? And it says, from your vain, back in 1 Peter, from our vain conversations received from a tradition of our fathers. Um, it's just talking about all the vanity, okay, that was passed along down the way that could never save anybody. It had to be Christ that, that came, okay? It had to be Jesus that came. And, uh, Y'all, the apostles lived in a day where there was much slavery, there was cruel slavery. You know, we think it's only uh, 200 years ago in America. Slavery has been around since men have been around. And in the days that the apostles lived, when Peter was writing this, slavery was a cruel and a very prominent institution, okay, that was going on in Rome and in their day. They knew it, and, and yet they understood it. And they said, this is, this is the description that the Holy Spirit used through Peter and Paul and these others to describe our relationship with our Redeemer. Yes, we're beloved. Yes, we're the friends of God. You know, we're the sons and daughters of God. But also, Paul would say we're redeemed. That meant purchased. We're the property of the Lord. A bondservant of the Lord. Okay, and so they weren't ashamed to say it either because the Lord has redeemed us. And a couple of scriptures, I'll just read them to you. Uh, you're not your own, you're bought with the price. It says that to believers in, in 1 Corinthians 6. And then also we, in 2 Peter, denying the Lord who bought them. We've been redeemed, we've been purchased. And so the purchaser of the slave, the purchaser of whoever he's purchasing, owns has full ownership right nobody would argue that whether you you think slavery is horrible and all that 
which is not even our argument here today. Nobody would argue that if a slave, a person did buy a slave and paid the market price, whatever that was, that slave fully belonged to that person. And that owner, because he did redeem that slave, could do what they wanted. Now, uh, this is given, that description is given for us in the Bible for a reason. The Lord wants us to know that we have been bought with a price and that we're not our own. And so oftentimes, and this has to be my mindset and your mindset, and one of the things I want to stress about tonight is that He has redeemed us from the curse and the penalty of sin, but He's also redeemed us unto Himself. He's redeemed us from something, from death, because the wages of sin is death. That's the curse and the penalty of sin. Uh, an eternal death separated from the Lord forever and ever. And He breaks the power of sin from us. So He, he delivered us from that and bought us from that. But He also owns us. He bought us unto Himself. And I know you've heard me say it and others probably say it. He's, Jesus Christ is called Lord more times than He's called Savior in the Bible. And a lot of times people want Him as Savior. They want Him as a life jacket. They're going under and they want to be rescued. And I do too. Thank the Lord He's both, okay? But He is to be He's our Savior and our Lord. And He purchased us, He's the rightful owner of our lives. Okay? All of us have a day. We can write in our Bible, we gave our lives to Christ. And we didn't fully maybe understand everything at that time. And so the Bible says, I'll just read this, and we're about to close. In Titus 2.14, speaking of Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Isn't that very clear? He gave Himself that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify and cleanse us a morally pure people like Jesus. Okay, Purify unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. That's what we're to be. So if I'm not, if I'm saved and I'm not basically live in that way as a pattern, then I need to ask God to forgive me. And I need to get serious about my walk with the Lord. I need to understand it's not befitting of a child of God who's been purchased by my Lord, loving God. He's not like some cruel you know, person who's whipping us. He loved us. He laid down His life for us. But He does own me. I belong to Him. He purchased me with His own blood. So if I'm not living that way day by day as a pattern then God forgive me. This ought to convict me. Alright? It ought to convict you. This isn't a message for the lost. This is a message for us right here at Cornerstone just dealing with our hearts. Am I of that mindset? Do I see that I don't belong to myself? Okay? Uh, and He redeemed us from this vain manner of life. And we're just going to close with this thought. There's been an exchange that took place. Okay? There's an exchange between hell and death and sin and vain conversation, which means lifestyle, and all this vanity that we lived in before and then redeemed unto the Lord. Holy and spotless and blameless. And He's given us life and He's given us abundant, eternal and free. And uh, He is our rightful owner and our rightful Master. In the last Scripture in First Peter it says, who by Him, who by the Lord, we believe. It's through Jesus that we believe in God. 
That's how we have a relationship with God. God that raised Him up from the dead and gave Him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. And we know the Scripture. It seems like we go to it all the time in Philippians 2. Because Jesus Christ took upon the form of a servant, you know, was obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. Wherefore? No, we said it before. Down, down, humbled himself, humbled himself, humbled himself, humbled himself, all the way to the cross. Death breathed his last breath, all the way obedient to the Lord. It just looks like we're going downhill here. He's not being made king. He's not being made mayor or prince or anything. He's being humbled, humbling himself, humbling himself, all the way to the death like a common criminal on the cross. Wherefore, because he did that, God the Father has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. There's no name like it, okay? Because of what he did, who he is, and what he did. And the Bible says, Wherefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name, that's the glory, right? The glorifying of the Lord again. Like he was a, had glory in heaven. He stepped down and he was uh, there was no beauty that we should you know esteem him. He just looked like another man in the sense there was nothing uh, maybe unique about his humanity in that sense. And so he set aside that glory, still was God, and then went to the cross and then exalted back up again uh, with with the glory that he has now. He had to to do that. And so the Son reveals the Father as He promises, and the Father is known and loved through the Son. God becomes all in all, and we ought to be satisfied with the Lord in this glory that that He is, and that we're able to be partakers of that glory and share with Him in that glory. And so I want you to, if you would, to turn to your Bibles. The last passage we're going to read uh, is John 17. Starting in the first verse. Now this is right before Jesus is going to the cross. This is the last little moments. And He's with His disciples before He goes to the cross. Let's read verses 1-6. through So this is a prayer. Jesus' prayer with His disciples present. But this is a communication between Him and His Father. These words spake Jesus and lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. About to go to the cross. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is eternal, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify Thou me and with Thine own self with the glory which I had with Thee before the world was. I have manifested Thy name unto the men which Thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and Thou gavest them, gave them to me, and they have kept Thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever Thou hast given me were of Thee. And so... Uh, He's, he's, this is his prayer to his Father. And this is what Peter's talking about in that last bit, in that last passage, that, uh, that God raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. 
And so it's just an amazing thing. The Lord wants our faith to be in God. It's through Jesus Christ. It's not through some other way. And we're just going to close with that thought tonight. I guess the one thing that maybe uh, stuck out to me the most that would be our, our closing thought to end on at the altar would be the fact that if we are purchased, which we clearly are, redeemed from slavery and all that life of sin, that we do not belong to ourselves anymore. 1 Corinthians 6, what you know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirits, which are God's or God's possessions. Okay? And so every single waking moment of this life on this earth until the rapture or until we die and go see the Lord. Either way, every moment of it, we're bought by the Lord. There's no point where we're not bought by the Lord. And there's no point where God doesn't want to be glorified through our lives. You get a good night's sleep, He can be glorified for that. It's not that we always have to be preaching a sermon. But it is that we always belong to the Lord. My life belongs to Him. I am not my own. And I need to take account of that. How much time do I spend on me Now put God on the back burner or put God to the side and do things that are blatantly sinful or just maybe just lazy and just kind of not engaged in Christ and in the things of God. The Lord wants us to, to be aware of that. He wants us to be thankful for the blood of Jesus. You didn't even come. Thankful that, for the great price that we were redeemed with. Not silver or gold. He gave His life. We've been ransomed by the blood of Jesus and we belong to Him. And guess what, y'all? This is a good thing. It's not a bad thing that we belong to the Lord. He's not going to be cruel. He doesn't want to take your life and run it in the ground and make you miserable and, say, and laugh and say, I've got this power over your life now and I can just snuff you out. And he, he died for us. He loves us. He's already proved His love. He wants us to live for Him. There's a rest that remains for the people of God in heaven. But right now, He's called us to serve Him and to walk with Him and to grow in Him. And so let's just stand.